Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Al, where are you, Al? You realize that you just probably gave yourself a new nickname, right? At least I am going to be tempted to call you Gumdrop from now on. (laughs) I loved watching Lydia react to the candles. It was like nothing got her attention this morning at all until Al lit that candle. It was like she was all eyes. And from that point on, she, you know, kids, the things that catch their attention, they are beautiful, aren't they? Yeah, very beautiful. Uh, good to have Sean and Alicia. Alicia slipped out, but uh, back. Uh, I don't see uh, Buck if, if Buck is uh, back up north or wherever. But uh, uh, and I'm looking forward. I think we're going to be hearing from you next Sunday morning. Uh, you're going to give a bit of a report, I believe. I I don't know that for absolute certainty, but I did have a very brief conversation with Curtis about that um, because next week's our scheduled um, uh, spotlight on uh, Global Spotlight, Spotlight Missions, and, uh, and uh, so it's, uh, but you had a good trip, yeah, and we were really encouraged to read the reports you sent uh, each day, or that we posted uh, on, on, on uh, the uh, website, so really good, really good, and you got to meet uh, Josh Carter's cousin and his wife, yeah. his mom, the, uh, what's, what was his name? Uh, Rick Ward. Rick Ward? Yeah. Rick's Mom um, played the piano for the Chet Marsh's funeral on uh, th- uh, Friday. Uh, they live in New Bird. Uh, uh, jo- uh, Gracia, Gracie, Gracie, Gracie uh, Tan. Her, her married name is so. Yeah, wow, lots going on. It's Christmas time, and uh, th- there's uh, some of the this platform is ready to go for for tonight. I'm, I'm excited for tonight, and, I, but, and it came up early, and I don't know, did, did everybody get a, a, a ticket? Uh, there's no cost, but we were hoping to have a, a, an idea of who, who all to expect, or how many people to expect. If you didn't get one, uh, I suspect, oh no, Tracy is in the room. There's Tracy right there, and, Co- and Courtney is here as well. Uh, so they're both here today, because they're usually doing something with the kids. Um, they're here today, and grab them. Um, after and uh, get get one of those or two or three or five or seven. It's, we'd love to have a full house and anybody who misses it will be sorry that they missed it. Regret is a terrible thing. It really is. And we all live with regret, but we shouldn't live with it any more than we absolutely have to. Um, let me see. Uh, hmm. Oh, Rob Stone was lying on his back, breathing in pain this morning. Doesn't know whether he pulled a muscle or something. Uh, but Darlene texted me and and uh, um, told me that they wouldn't be here. And uh, April, are you? Is April here? No, she's out, outside. But uh, they have something for the angel tree. Oh, you got it. Okay, thank you, sir. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, so, so we can. Um, we can pray for, for uh, Rob. Uh, uh, last Sunday when we prayed, I, I neglected to mention to you that Jim, uh, Jim Bird, Marion, where are you? 
there she is there. Marion's husband, Jim, has uh, had heart trouble, and, and I believe they are saying, are they saying he had a heart attack? Mild heart attack. Warning heart attack, maybe. Um, so uh, we, need, we need to pray for, for Jim and for Marion and their family as well. Um, lots to pray about. Lots going on. Uh, it's not all traumatic type of things, uh, just a lot of really exciting and good things happening as well. But um, um, Would you like to stand and uh, maybe we could just lift our, our hearts to the Lord and, and pray. We've got three chapters to cover today. You'll be happy to know I'm not going to read three chapters. Uh, we're not going to read at all. I hope that you are reading in Genesis as we're uh, looking at these uh, passages each week. It's so important what we do on Sunday morning when it comes to the preaching time. Jerry Cosby, it's good to see you this morning. I just saw you now. Good to have you here. Welcome. You look, you look, you look good. You do. That's great. You feeling better? Yeah, good. Really, really good. Um, let's. Um, I can't remember what I was saying before I saw you. Uh, yeah, but it's coming for me. Uh, let's just lift our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. What an incredible privilege it is to get together as your people because you bless us. Um, we are thankful for what we are celebrating here today. And yes, there, life is not all rainbows and gumdrops, but you are our joy and you are our peace. And, and your love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit whom you've given to us. We thank you, Lord, for all of the uh, things that you have done for us and are doing and all the things that we get to rejoice in and to celebrate and to enjoy throughout this day and in the days ahead as we celebrate your coming. Lord, we thank you for uh, Jerry and Agnes, and we pray you continue to have your hand upon them. Um, just give strength and, and encouragement there, Lord. And... Um, for, for Jim and Marion, Lord, uh, that you would just uh, really uh, watch over watch over them. We thank you, Lord, that, that you do uh, take a personal interest in each one of our lives. And Lord, we just lift them up to you this morning. And, and uh, for others, for Rob, uh, who's in pain this morning, Lord, that you, you would just um, ease, ease that, that pain and and uh, help him to listen to his wife and uh, get some, some help with that. And they get to the bottom of it. And, uh, and Lord, there are uh, many others as we've been praying for, uh, for people who are in um, just uh, difficult and, and sometimes painful situations. We just pray that you would be with those this morning, do that uh, those who uh, are hurting, um, that you would be at work in their lives, comforting and, and uh, granting relief. Those who are being harassed, persecuted, um, offended, assaulted in some way, Lord, that you would not only deliver them, but that you would speak directly to the hearts of those who are the oppressors, that you would bring uh, peace through justice in our world today. We ask for your kingdom to come. 
And may it begin in our own hearts. As we consider your word this morning, Lord, that you would just um, be pleased to teach us more about what your kingdom is like. And Lord, I pray this morning for all those unspoken prayer requests that are represented here. Lord, we're a, a significant number of people. I'm sure we represent many needs, Lord. So I pray that you would meet the need of each heart, those gathered here and those who would like to be here who can't be here. Uh, we just lift them up to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So last week I uh, made a mistake, actually made more than one mistake, but one of the mistakes I made, Josh Carter was the only person who came to me and said, wasn't Jesus sold for 30 pieces of silver? Now you're all going to claim to have known that. I, I know, I know, right? But Josh Carter was the only person who said to me, wasn't Jesus uh, sold for 30 pieces of silver? And the answer, of course, is yes. And Joseph was sold for how many pieces of silver? 20. And so that was a mistake on my part. Pardon? Inflation. Inflation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there was a significant time lapse there. Um, it wasn't the only mistake I made last week, but preachers do make mistakes. I hope you uh, know that really, really well. Um, because we are fallible. Anybody who speaks is fallible, regardless of how much how experience they might have or Bible knowledge they might have. Uh, but I, the good news is God is never wrong. So if I, I have often said it. I probably don't say it as much as I should say it, but I'll say it again this morning. If I ever say anything that's inconsistent with what is, in, what is consistently taught in the Word of God, dismiss it. Just chalk it up to, uh, yeah, my memory or, or, or my intelligence or lack thereof or, or whatever. So I appreciate those of you who are listening. <laughs> because when, when somebody is preaching from, from the Word, from Scripture, uh, you know, they're not the only one that's, that's working, right? We're all working. We're all listening hard, hopefully, for uh, God to, to teach us. So I appreciate that, <laughs> and I hope that you do. <clears throat> um, so we ended last week with these words. Uh, in Genesis 37, the last verse of the chapter, verse 36 says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. That's uh, him there is uh, Joseph. And I'm not going to try to go back through the story of Joseph and his brothers in the younger life and the coat of many colors and the jealousy and and uh, the hatred that developed from the jealousy and, and all of that. I, I'm going to count on you knowing, knowing that, and we're going to move on uh, uh, today with Joseph uh, in Egypt, sold into slavery, purchased there by a man named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, in fact, the captain of the guard. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, refers to the story of Joseph as the locus classicus of providence. Uh, that's, those are fancy Latin words, but, but he's saying Joseph is like the, the classic biblical case of the providence of God demonstrated in the life 
of those he calls. Um, and it is that, and it's tremendous. The curriculum for this week says this. It says that the lesson for this week is God works providentially in our lives, even through adversity, for his glory and our good. Uh, now, when I read that, I thought, that says it pretty well. That's a pretty strong, and I believe an accurate statement. So, today we're picking up the story of Joseph, and we are in verse or chapter 39. So we're jumping over chapter 38, but you've all read 38, so you know what's there, right? <laughs> the story of <clears throat> Judah and Tamar. Anyways, um, it, it, it is important because there's a significant contrast that's intentionally set out between the choices uh, and, uh, of Judah and the choices made by Joseph, as we will see in the text. But uh, chapter 39, verse 1 and 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. That's verse 1. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So the first thing of importance to note is that the Lord was with Joseph. That's really important. Can I get you to say amen to that? Really important stuff. The Lord was with Joseph. That's the first thing we need to take note of. The second thing follows from that. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. We are meant to draw a line between those two things. All right, I don't think I'm reading into the text when I say that. That's the inference there. It's a, it's a, a clear inference. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Um, and what did that success look like? Well, for one thing, it says in verse uh, 3, and I'm going to try to get my Bible open to the passage so I can not have to depend on the screen for the whole thing here, but uh, let's see. That's a lot. Three chapters, that's a lot of material. All right, verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So not only was Joseph uh, successful, but it was observable. People recognized it. And in particular, the master of the house, Potiphar, he recognized it. And such is as it should be. Potiphar was probably a polytheist, probably believed in numerous gods. I'm sure Joseph had opportunity to talk to Potiphar about his god. His one God, the one true God. But uh, it was uh, Joseph's life that really uh, spoke uh, to uh, Potiphar. Um, and he couldn't deny that. It, he wouldn't have acted on it the way he did unless he observed uh, something really significant and important there in Joseph's life. So he... Uh, he recognized that, and uh, verses 4 through 6 say, Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, uh, or served him, if you will. 
and he made him overseer of his house. That's Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house, put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the, his house and in the field. What does Genesis, 4, uh, Genesis 12 verse 3 say? I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This here is, part, is, is, is part, uh, in part a fulfillment of those words to Abraham who begot Isaac, who begot Jacob, who begot Joseph, right? And uh, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Um, so that's what it looked like. Um, it's looking pretty good. The young guy's been through a lot, you know, 17 years old, violently ripped out of your family and your home and sold into slavery in, in, a, in a foreign land, you know, but the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. Things are looking up. Sure, we go through hard times, but God has a way of working in, in those hard times and things are turning around. Things are looking good. He was... Also very good looking. He had that going for him too. Yeah. The uh, if you have the good fortune of being good looking. And if you have the good fortune of being um, smart, and if you have the good fortune of being uh, somebody who's been uh, enabled to develop strong skill set in your life, um, those are good things. Well, actually, Vance, I thought of bringing you up here <laughs> just to illustrate this. But maybe we'll do that at the end. But how many, many of you know that these things, as blessed as they are, can also present a problem? Now, sometimes we don't think this way. We think that the pretty people have it made. Right? You know, those good-looking people. They just got it made. They don't have to work at it. They don't have to spend hours in front of the mirror doing their hair, putting on makeup, going shopping for nice clothes and jewelry. They just got it made. We look at people with competencies the same way. It's easy for them. You know, they just they just have it. You know, they can just pick up an instrument and play it. Must be nice. Must be really nice to be them. You think? What got Joseph where he was in slavery in Egypt in the first place? 
jealousy, resentment, hatred. Do you do understand that all of those things can be a result of being a favored one? You understand that, right? I have talked to people who I thought, by all human standards, had it made. And what I have learned from some of those people, those good-looking people, those pretty talented people, is they have a whole set of problems that the rest of us don't even know anything about. You know, we, we, we all want to be desirable. We all want to be desired. We desire to be desired. I don't know anybody that grew up wanting to be ugly. <laughs> we could. We could go. We could spin off from there and go all kinds of directions, couldn't we? It's, it's a good thing. It's a God-given thing. It's only the fall that perverts it and distorts it and makes it into something what we would call an inordinate desire to be wanted, to be desirable. So these are good, good things, but, uh, yeah. I think you know what I'm trying to say there. Suicide rates, suicide rates attest to this. Have you noticed that sometimes people that we would look at and say, wow, must be nice. They've got it made. Good looks, talent, abilities. And one morning they get up and decide that their lives are not even worth living. That should cause us pause, shouldn't it? It really should cause us to think hard about some of these things. And I trust that it does. Anyways, we're going to we're going to continue through the story of Joseph and we're going to see some of these things uh, and how, how these things uh, cut both ways. Um, let's uh, read verses 7 to 10, 39, 7 to 10. It says, the last part of verse 6 says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Verse 7 says, after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke to Joseph, as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her, or to be with her. It's one of the favorite passages for parents of teens, isn't it? This is where a lot of parents want their teen, take their teens to this passage. Here's a young guy, like I said, torn away from his home. It's a long way, I tell you, from the pastures of Palestine to the metropolis of Egypt. It's a totally different life. Young guy, hormones raging, culture playing its part and yet he withstands and resists what must have been a 
an extremely significant temptation for him. I think that um, Joseph knew at least two things. He probably pretty being pretty young, he probably didn't a lot of things he probably didn't know, but he knew he knew at least this much. He knew that to do this would be a sin against Potiphar. And he knew, even more importantly, to do this would be a sin against God. That's what it says in the text. And I hope that we can, can know those two things when it comes to the temptations that we face, especially in this present anything-goes culture that we're living in. These are important things. And I do think parents should take um, you know, their, their, their children and their, and their teens to these passages and these types of passages because I believe that the word of God steers us right. Because while the preacher may be fallible, God never gets it wrong. And you can compare this to chapter 38 in the life of Judah. You can do that uh, in your own time. I encourage you to do that. Um, so um, Joseph uh, does not give in to the temptation. Um, and, uh, you know, we have this uh, idea and it's a mistaken idea that if we do the right thing, things will always work out well in the immediate future for us. Things will go well. If you do the right thing, you can expect it's going to be good, which is a mistaken idea, shown to be false over and over again, not only in the life of Joseph, but in all of Scripture. He did the right thing, which was the hard thing. And what happened? Well, it didn't go, didn't go good for him. You probably know the story, but let's read what happens to Joseph next. It says, but one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in, the, in her hand and fled and got out of the house. She was not letting go. She was absolutely not letting go. Picture this scene playing out in your mind. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and she said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I, that, I lifted my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid her, his garment by her until his master came home. No, this is the second time Joseph, the, a, a garment has got Joseph in trouble. If, I think we're supposed to draw that, that okay? That's kind of just kind of an ironic little piece of uh, detail of the narrative there. But anyways, uh, and when the master came home, she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me, to make a joke out of, out of my life, to... Um, but, uh, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. What's going what's gonna to happen now? Who's to say? It's his word against her word. Her word against his word. 
no witnesses, two people, one male, one female, both having a story, stories in conflict. Who's telling the truth? Potiphar was in a trap. He had no choice. It was kind of the perfect setup, wasn't it? Um, I, I, I do. I am going to stop for a moment here in the narrative and and say something to you that I think needs to be said, and that is that women are no less capable or prone to sin than men are. It's very common in our present context uh, for women to be believed simply because they're a woman. Please hear my words carefully and don't construe them. I don't want to be misquoted on this. And we are running a video, so I can go back and back up. Unless I make a mistake, that would, this would not be a good time to make a mistake, would it? <laughs> just, as, just as it is common in our day for women to be objectified, mistreated, and passed over, because, simply because they are women... There is also a common message in our society today that men are the problem. And I hope that you can see through all that rhetoric and understand that that's a sexist belief. What's the opposite of misogyny? I'm asking you because I don't know. I never had the time to look it up. Does anybody here know what the opposite of misogyny is? What is misogyny? Pardon? Hatred of or against women. What's the, what's the opposite? Androgyny? I have no idea. Look it up for us. Check the oracle. But it's interesting that, I mean, how many of you have heard the word misogyny? Yeah, it's used all the time, right? And I want to be sensitive to the context that we're in but I just this is what I'm saying here no one should be believed just because of their gender that's what I'm saying if there are reasons to believe somebody's story there are good reasons to believe somebody's story there's good reasons not to, to believe somebody's story gender is never a good reason can I say that anything else is, is sexism so that's kind of just a a commercial. Here's the thing. Men and women are equal. And we are equal in sin. We are equal in our fallenness. Now, we're not the same, and we don't always sin the same, but we are equal in our fallenness. And we are all capable of, of, of sinning in what we do and in what we say. And we need to keep these things in mind. Um, I, don't, I know that our current society is trying to uh, right a wrong, and I get that. But two wrongs don't make a right, and sometimes overcorrection is as bad as undercorrection. And I hope that you can see that. Sometimes overcorrection is just as destructive and as harmful as undercorrection. And we have to be careful with these things. And that's all I'm arguing for is that you would be careful and that, you, and that we would be biblical and that we would understand that there is equality. 
Not sameness, but equality. Um, so what's he going to do? Well, he has no choice. <laughs> it's not just a woman. It's his wife. It's not just about gender. It's his wife. He has no choice. It's interesting. Uh, this is what uh, Derek Kidner says. He says, Potiphar's mingled wrath and restraint may reflect a faint misgiving about the full accuracy of the charge. Let's read it. As soon as his master heard the words, verse 19, that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. He would not have gone to prison if Potiphar had been completely convinced that his wife was telling him the truth. He would be dead. Okay? Just saying. He'd be dead. He's a Hebrew slave. Yes, Peg? Thank you very much. I'd never heard the word before. Um, okay, so here Joseph is in prison. Great. Just when things are looking up, everything's going good. He did the right thing, and here we go again. Right back in the pit. In fact, throughout this next two chapters, this prison is at least two times that I noticed called a pit, which is interesting, isn't it? Uh, let's see. Um, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. There it is again. Important, right? Very important. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. You know, like, can you see the irony in that? It's, 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 meant, to be, it's, it's meant to be ironic because it is ironic because life is ironic. Here he is in prison and the Lord is showing him his steadfast love. He might not have always felt that steadfast love. Uh, the psalmist refers to this time in, in, um, in Joseph's life and says he was in fetters. He's in chains. And I don't know what this prison looked like, but I know it was not a nice place. And I'm sure that Joseph would have been trying to, you know, kind of scratching his head, trying to figure, figure some of this stuff out. Um, so here's the thing. God doesn't promise us, Samantha, that life will be easy, right? But he does promise us what? What? That he'll be with us, that he'll never leave us, nor forsake us. It's so graphically presented to us here in this, in this, uh, this narrative. Um. Let's read the rest of the chapter. Uh, let's go back to uh, 
Verse 21, read through the rest of the chapter. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, which is the same thing that happened before, right? You know, uh, what happens when, you know, God's with you? This, this is what happens. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. <laughs> Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. There it is again. You know, like there it is again. Why are, uh, uh, is this constantly the case in Joseph's life? Because God was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. Um, don't you just love that? I love it. And, uh, you know, the, the old saying, you can't keep a good man down, right? That is what they say, but that has nothing to do with what's going on in this passage. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Because the whole idea here is not about how good-looking Joseph is or how smart he is or how super talented he is. The whole idea is God was with him. God caused him to succeed, and God granted him favor with those around him. Because that's the way life works. It's not about how good-looking you are or how talented or how able you are. That's the whole point here in this. God was with him. God gave him success, and God granted him favor. It's all of his grace, right? Joseph's whole life is like this, up, down, up, down, up, down. Just when you think, things, all right, things are turning around, down he goes again. Oh, man, like what's going on here? And, uh, and, yet, and, and you have this fascinating mixture of choices and calamities and more choices, and through it all, the Lord is at work in Joseph's life. Your life is like that. My life's like that. So, here he is in prison. Now, when I said we're not going to read through the three chapters, but let me tell you the story of what happens in prison, okay? Joseph's in prison, and there's these, these two guys. They're on staff with the king. They're part of his royal entourage, and they, they are his cupbearer and his cake um, baker, his, his, his royal baker. If you're a king, you can have your own baker, right? And so he, Pharaoh had his own baker. Obviously, he was in charge of all of the good things that Pharaoh liked to eat, right? So it was a, important. These were important positions, but they did something, and we don't know what they did, but they did something, and Pharaoh had both of them thrown in prison. Just a coincidence, you know? Anyways, um, they're, they're in prison, and they're in the same prison as Joseph. And if you read through the story, you'll see that, that I'm taking some shortcuts, but that's okay. Uh, so they're in prison, and and and... Uh, they, th as it happens, they both dream a dream. And um, uh, the, the uh, cupbearer, he dreams a dream about, um, you know, these three grape vines, and, and uh, they grow, and the grapes come out, and, and he takes the cup, and he squeezes the grapes into his cup, into the cup, and he gives the cup to the, to the king, and, and, he, and he wakes up, and he's like, what was that? And the baker, he has a dream about cup 
cupcakes or something, and, or basket, I guess it was, a food, uh, nice pastries on his head and everything. He has this dream. So the, and he wakes up like, what is that all about? And uh, so Joseph comes in t- uh, to where they're at in the prison, um, and, he, and he notices right away that it, there's something wrong. And so he does what, what he should do, and he says, what's, what's wrong? I can tell something's wrong. What's, what's wrong? And they said, well, cupbearer goes first. He says, I had, I had this crazy dream. These are not ordinary dreams. These were, trou- these were troubling dreams. These were disturbing dreams. It says in the passage, it uses the word troubled uh, different times there. You know, they were troubled by these dreams. They were disturbing. These are not ordinary dreams. And it's really bothering me. And, and so Joseph said, well, they, so they sell them these dreams. And, and, he, and so Joseph, he says to them, he says, well, you know, um, God, he said, we don't know how to interpret the dreams. And, and Joseph said, well, God knows how to interpret the dreams. Tell me, tell me your dreams. So, so they did. And the, and the cupbearer goes first and he says, um, you know, tells them about the dream. And, and, and Joseph says, well, I, yeah, I'll tell you what that dream means. That means in three days, you are going to be restored back to your position completely. Completely restored back to the palace, the good life. And he goes, really? That's amazing. So, so the baker, he goes, next. And, um, and he says, wow, this, that sounds really good. Here's my dream. And he tells him the dream. And, and Joseph says, well, your dream is kind of similar, but it's a little different. You're going to be lifted up. Your head's going to be lifted up too. But the only problem is, is you're going to be hanged in three days' time. And um, I sucks to be you, but that's, uh, that was the dream, right? And, um, <laughs> uh, man, um, Okay, so let's read the last three verses of the chapter. Chapter 40, last three verses. Uh, On the third day, which happened to be Pharaoh's birthday, have to have a party, got to do fun things in your party. So he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. And oh, I forgot, I forgot one detail. Joseph said to the cupbearer, after he interpreted his dream, he said, when you are restored to your position with the Pharaoh, remember me and tell the Pharaoh about me. But he forgot, right? He forgot. The chief cupbearer, last verse, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So here he is, forgotten in prison. Great. Two years go by, which probably seems like an eternity in prison, I'm thinking. I've never been in prison. I have done other things that, that, uh, you know, weren't good. But, I, but I've never been in prison. Keeping in mind here that Joseph is in prison for doing nothing wrong. He was completely innocent, right? Did all the right things. Two years go by. It was pretty obvious, pretty obvious after two years that that cupbearer guy did not remember what I asked him to remember. And here I am, and I've, nobody knows I'm here. There's one person that knows I'm here. 
My family doesn't know I'm here. They think I'm dead. But God knows. Uh, was Joseph conscious of God's presence in prison? Yes, he was. The text makes that clear, even in the interpreting of dreams. Anyway, I need to move on here. Let me see. Uh, so, okay. So, um, something happens in 41, something happens. Two years have gone by, and something happens, because God has worked. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the kingdom, the nation of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, he has a dream. Actually, he has two dreams. And they are not ordinary dreams. The text says he woke up troubled. Same thing as the baker and the cupbearer. He wakes up troubled, disturbed by these dreams. It's like... So he calls his, his consultants in. And he asks them to interpret his dreams. And they can't. They said, in, and I'm paraphrasing... We don't have a sweet clue what this is about. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer, who is on staff, right, with the pharaoh, remembers something, right? He remembers Joseph. And so he says, oh, that reminds me of this guy. Do you remember, Pharaoh, uh, do you remember a couple of years ago when you were upset with me and Bob the baker? And you threw us into prison. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, we had these crazy, troubling dreams in there. And, you know, I had this dream, and this would happen, and, and the baker had this dream. And, and, and there's this guy, this guy named Joseph, this, this young Hebrew guy. He calls him a young Hebrew, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, and he told us what our dreams meant. And, get this, everything happened exactly the way he said it would. And Bob... You know, and here I am, just like Joseph said. And so you can imagine uh, what Pharaoh, uh, you know, Pharaoh's response to that, right? Um, he, uh, he wants to talk to this Joseph guy. And uh, so he sends uh, for Joseph. Uh, what do you suppose Joseph has been uh, doing all this time? What do you think Joseph's been learning in prison? You think maybe he's been studying dream interpretation? Uh, maybe, I doubt it. Here's what I think Joseph's been learning in prison. I think he's been learning that, you know what? Your life course is not determined by how good you look or how talented you are or what you do. Our, life, our lives are in God's hands. Because there's tons of stuff we don't know, but God knows. God knows. And anyways, um, what time is it? 10 to 10. I, or 10 to uh, 12, sorry. I, I want to be careful here because I could easily just turn into a blabbering idiot at this point because there's so much material here. But, um, and I don't want to do this injustice. Um, You're familiar with the phrase, the arm of flesh? Is that, the, the Bible readers will know what that means. The arm of flesh. 
It's the old uh, hymn, The Arm of Flesh Will Fail You. You know, trusting in yourself and your own abilities or, or whatnot. Um, how many of you last Monday watched uh, the news and saw uh, where David St. Jacques, Canadian uh, astronaut, uh, blasted off in the Soviet uh, or the Russian rocket from Kazakhstan with the, the uh, American, one American and, and a uh, Russian cosmonaut? Did you see that? Um, David, David St. Jacques, I think they, they refer to him as. He's from Quebec, and, and I was listening to them. And this guy, if you, if you didn't hear it, let me tell you, he, this guy is quite a guy. Um, he's uh, 43 years old. Uh, his recent training for his mission included um, firefighting and scuba diving. Uh, he has a degree in engineering physics and a PhD in astrophysics. He's also completed a postdoctoral research at National Astronomical Observatory of Japan, where he worked on the development and the application of the Metaka infrared interferometer, interferometer, whatever that is, in Japan, and, and a, um, adapt a, a, a telescopic adaptic optic system, optic system in Hawaii. He holds a doctor of medicine degree from the University of Laval, so he's a medical doctor too. He's com uh, completed a family residency at McGill University, and he specializes in first-line isolated medical practice. Um, he speaks French, English, Spanish, Russian, and Japanese. He hikes, he climbs mountains, he bikes, he skis, and he sails. He has a goal, he received a gold medal of the Royal Canadian Geographic Society. He's a commercial pilot. Yeah, that's, that's how I felt when I was hearing all this stuff. And he's married with three young children. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. I'm watching this guy, you know, get on this rocket, and I'm thinking, man, what an incredible human being. Um, and... And Joseph was like that, right? He was an incredible human being. But, but in reading through God's word, it becomes obvious to me, and I hope it's obvious to you, that no matter what you think you might have going for you, at the end of the day, God wants us to know that that's not going to be the determining factor in our lives. He is. And I think that's what Joseph was learning in prison. Let's uh, see if we can get through the rest of this so we can reach some kind of a conclusion here, although we are going to be running into next week on this, this storyline uh, in chapter um, 40. Uh, through uh, 50. Um, so he sends for Joseph. Um, let me see if I can pick up in uh, verses uh, 15 and 16 of chapter 41. I know it's getting long. Let me just see if I can finish up. Pharaoh said, uh, sent for Joseph, verse 14, sorry. Uh, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. 
And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered, and take note of his answer, okay, in light of what we've been saying, okay, take note of his answer. He says, Joseph, it says, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. Our society will tell you it's in you. They will tell you you've got it in you. You've got it in you to be great. You've got it in you to be successful. You've got it in you to be really something. Joseph said, it's not in me. No, he don't understand. See, he's not taking any credit for any of this. We really need to learn from this guy. He said, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I'm going to use the word favorable here. That doesn't mean favorable like what you want to hear. That means favorable as an accurate. It's not in me, but God will give you the answer. God will give you the accurate answer because God is never wrong. And then Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. Now you can read about the dreams. There's a dream about cows and a dream about corn or grain, it says. And, uh, and uh, it's through I'm not, we're not going to go through them, but, but the, the, uh, Joseph listens to him as he ex- expands uh, on his dreams. He tells him about his dreams that he has. And then Joseph um, says to Pharaoh, um, uh, he says, uh, let's go down to verse 25. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. So in other words, both dreams are saying the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. God is revealing to you, Pharaoh, what he is about to do. Um, And then he explains, he says, the seven cows and the seven years of corn or whatever they were are seven years of plenty, the fat cows and the nice, beautiful grain. The skinny, anemic cows are seven years of famine that are going to follow the seven uh, fruitful years. This is what God's going to do. There's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so then, and, and uh, not only does he, Joseph say, God is showing you what uh, he's going to do, but this is not given to you. And Joseph didn't say this in so many words, but he says, this is not something, the, your response to this shouldn't be resignation. Oh, well, God's going to do what he's going to do. Your response should be action. And this is what you need to do. And Joseph, so then Joseph tells him all along what the dreams mean, but he says, and this is what you should do. You should go and you should find somebody that's really capable and you should appoint them and put them in charge and they should put other guys in charge and you should build a system of, of competent people who, uh, who can uh, uh, make sure that those seven years that you uh, or, organize your, um, your people so that those seven years of plenty can be stored up so that when the seven years of famine come, you'll be able to ward off starvation of your people. And Joseph, uh, Pharaoh's standing there listening to Joseph, and he turns to his, his wise men, his consultants, and he says, that's a good idea. Do you guys know anybody like that? And they just stand there. And then he turns back to Joseph. And he says, you're that man. I'm sure you've read the story. It's really, uh, it's really a, an amazing thing. I just, it's, just, it's just like the 
best of the best of human drama. Um, and let's see, verses 33 to 36. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and, and, let, and set him over all the land of Egypt. And, Pharaoh and let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, take one-fifth of the produce of, of the land. Uh, let's go down to 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. So then he gives them a new name, a new Egyptian name. He gives, he takes and gives him a gold chain, puts it around his neck, gives him a great big fancy ring to say to everybody that he is really something. And he gives them a chariot to ride in. And he lets him ride through the streets of the metropolis of, e of Egypt. Uh, and, and, and he commands people to bow down and bow their knee before Joseph. And he says, you are over everything and everyone. You're second only to me in the entire kingdom. He even gave them uh, a new wife. That's not supposed to be a joke or anything. That's, it's straight in the text there. Um, but I've just lost my place in my notes. Uh, let's see. Last page here. Uh, so the, the um, scripture ends, the chapter ends, with Joseph doing exactly what he said should be done. So he starts and immediately goes to work. And he starts storing up grain. And it says in, in the verse, um, uh, the thing about the chariot and stuff is in verse 44. It says in verse 49 that he stored up so much grain they had to stop counting. They couldn't measure it anymore. It became like the sands of the sea. Okay? You see it there. And so now Joseph is fully positioned. He is, he is fully positioned, and the seven years of plenty are coming to an end. And that's where we are going to have to pick up next week, because all of the things that God has been doing in Joseph's life are not just about Joseph, right? The promises of God made to Abraham are still all in effect. And what we're seeing played out is, yeah, Joseph's family think he's dead, but, well, his brothers know. They don't know where he is. Probably think he's dead. His father definitely thinks he's dead. But there's a famine. You know, there's records of famines in Egypt where people, where it got so bad that people started to cannibalize each other. We read this and go, oh, seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. You know, like, that's nice. If you were there, you would feel differently about it. Let's just say that. 
So, I don't know about you, but I like to think of myself as a fairly competent person. Um, you know, I, I work hard. I have pretty much most my whole life, except for those, that little slice of teen years there where I turn into some kind of weird creature for a few years. Um, but other than that, um, I've, worked, I've worked hard my whole life, and, and anything I, I do, I try to do well. And I feel the Lord has given me some degree of competency, you know. Um, although I'm never, I never cease to amaze me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to turn 60 years of age, and I still slam my thumb in my dresser drawer. Like after 60 years, you'd think I would learn not to do that, but I still do that. But generally speaking, overall, I consider myself to be a, a, a pretty competent uh, person. Um, how about you? Not only that, but I, I, I'm not going to comment on my moral, you know, the quality of my moral character, but I will say this to you. I, I try to live my life according to the directives of God's word. And I know that, that, that generally speaking, those of you who are here, you, you, you try to do that too. Um, but here's the thing. In the end, it's not about our abilities or even the quality of our characters. Although God does call us to work hard and to live well. Even if you're really wise and you can make yourself look really good, God can use those things. So can the enemy. They can cause you to be favored. They can also cause you to be hated. They can cause you goodwill, or they can cause you jealousy, rivalry, resentment, and hostility. But here's the thing. God was with him. In the pasture, in the pit, in the prison, and in the palace, the consistent thing that we see in the life of Joseph was that God was with him and that God had a plan for his life and that that plan was much, much bigger than Joseph. It involved his family too. And not only that, it involved, are you ready for this? It involved the world. And this might be hard for you to fathom, but your life does too. Because God has a plan for your life. And it's not about, at the end of the day, how good looking or how talented you are or what you're able to do. God has a plan for your life, and it's much bigger than you. It involves your family. We're not called to live for ourselves. And even bigger than that, it involves others. It involves the world that he's called you to live in and sent you into, and me too. So what's important at the end of the day is not only that we know that 
what is wrong and what is right, but that we know God uses both what is wrong and what is right to fulfill his plans in, in uh, our lives. God uses what we perceive as obstacles. So God uses strength. He also uses weakness. God uses freedom. He also uses imprisonment. God uses health. He also uses illness. God uses our abilities. God also uses our disabilities. Because at the end of the day, it's not about you and what you can do. It's about God and his promises and what he said he will do and what he will do in your life to bless the world. Not about just me, but the people around me. Let's uh, stand together. This can go in so many different directions. Um, but as we, you know, as we head off to lunch, whether you're staying for uh, pulled pork or whether you're heading off somewhere else, e either way, there's the, the issue of knowing that, you know, God is in your life, that responding to the promise of God. God. God has made you a promise, too. And his promise to you is as if you would uh, repent of your sin, turn and put faith in my Messiah, my son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, then I will take you and I will forgive your sin and I will make you my own. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will make you my child. But it doesn't stop there, does it? God says, I have a plan for your life as my child, as a follower of Jesus Christ. I have a plan for your life. And it's not just about you. It's way bigger than that. It involves your family. Even if they think you're dead or wish you were, doesn't matter. And it involves all of these other people too. The people standing beside you right now and the people you're going to run into when you go at that door. Because listen to these words that God said to Joseph's great, great, no, great-grandfather, Abraham. Whatever that works. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And through you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Right? There's consistency there, right from cover to cover. So the question is, have you responded to that promise? Let's, let's cut to the chase and talk turkey right now. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you, he, God provided Jesus. It's not an optional kind of thing. It's not like, here, I'll give you these options. You got door number one, door number two, door number three. No, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Nobody else laid down their life and suffered and died for your sin. Jesus alone did that because only Jesus alone could do that. Because why, Christmas? He is the incarnate Son of God. He is God come to rescue us. Because at the end of the day, it's not about you or me or what we can do or how good looking we are or how smart we are or anything else. It's about his grace. That's why Jesus came. So my question at this point of the morning before we leave, it's afternoon now, I know. Pray with me. 
If you're here and you have not accepted Christ, understand this. He is God's provision for your sin. He is God's provision of grace. He is the way that God has made for you to have a personal relationship with your creator. And if you will respond to his offer of eternal life, he promises you that he will take away your sin and that he will come and give you the gift of his spirit. He will come and live inside of you and he will never leave you nor forsake you, but he has a plan for you, a plan to to prosper you and to make you successful for his glory and his way. Will Will you do that this morning? I don't know where you're at, but God knows. God knows, just like Joseph said, God knows, God knows your heart. Will you respond? Will you say yes to the incredible promise of God this morning? If you will, I invite you to pray with me and just simply say, Lord God, I accept your son Jesus as my savior. I turn from my sin and I ask you to forgive my sin because of Jesus and I accept you, Lord Jesus, to come and deliver me from, from, uh, from sin and from hell and from death. Deliver me from myself. Save me from myself, God. Make me your own. Take me and make me your own. And I will live for you. And I will trust you. And I will look for you to use me in the lives of other people. And I would thank you and praise you for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have made uh, some kind of a decision today, I would love to talk with you. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to finish the story of Joseph. And we only have 10 chapters uh, to work on to do that. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, Talk to me. I'd I'd love to speak with you.